This is Ross Coulthard, and you are listening to That UFO Podcast. Hi everyone and welcome back to That UFO Podcast. My name is Andy and in the middle of a bit of a storm here in the UK, there are storm fronts closing in on the UFO, UAP, circus, whatever you want to call it these days. It's been a bit wild to discuss this with me. Equally windswept down where he is in (laughs) Wales. Dan, welcome. Hi, hi. Yeah, I figured, you know, new report. So we're back here to do this one more time. Yeah, and a few things to cover off, to be honest. Um, And I I mentioned, Dan, I don't think actually I said on the interview, but the Mark Hartsman interview that people will have heard or have seen or will get to, I'm sure, hopefully. I really enjoyed speaking to Mark. Yeah, it's lovely. Really nice book. I said to him, and I felt bad saying it, but I was surprised how good it was. Like, it was, was, yeah, I I was genuinely really, like, nicely, like, ah. We're used to books that are just text, right? And that's yeah. no shade of people that do it like that. No, but no. It's clearly like a, a casual on ramp. Like he's he's paid mind to people that haven't been immersed in the subject like twenty four seven, you know. Or have the attention? Like my attention span's terrible. So I, it's I think it's very easy to do like a bit of the book and then stop. Sure. Or yeah. or it breaks up naturally enough for you with the pictures and documents and you know the way it's laid out that it doesn't feel like you're reading a long book which yeah. yeah but anyway go check out the mark hartsman interview really nice guy as well really good book he's put together um from someone who's not a ufo guy but very much is interested in the subject and the paranormal and all that good stuff um speaking of all that good stuff let's get to some of the not so good stuff dan the arrow report the annual cla- the annual unclassified version of the report mm-hmm. dropped um it was recorded to be dropped or written, put together on the 17th of October or released on the 17th of October for all that's in it. It maybe was written on the 17th of October as well, <laughs> um, if that's a spoiler alert. And it dropped on the 18th of October in the US a bit later in the day because I didn't pick it up until the morning. Um, so we'll, we'll kick off there, Dan. I think, is it fair to say straight off the bat that we were a bit... This is what I expected from these and this is what i expect from them going forward forever how many more we might actually get they're a bit of a for all the first one we gave a pass there was certainly a little bit more in the first one at least redacted whereas now it's just yeah it is what it is teeth isn't it (laughs) it's it's very much become the tick box exercise we hoped it wouldn't um, yeah. I think I said online it's that and I may have used this one before Dan about it it's that kind of relationship that is fizzling out with the, you know the girlfriend or boyfriend you've got and you both know that it's not going to last but you're just kind of like there and then sometimes you realize actually you've not saw each other for three weeks and you should drop them a text and this is this is how it's coming across now that these these are just there in the background happening you, and you need to text Susan more I, I feel <laughs> who oh yeah sorry my wife yeah that's the one um don't tell her i said that she won't she definitely won't listen to this i promise you um but so straight off the bat um arrow report like we say some stuff to discuss dan i've got noted down there's nothing massively exciting in there for me um we'll see what you've got introduction uh very briefly the report covers uap reports from the 31st of august 2022 to the 30th of april 2023 and all uap reports from any previous time periods not included in an earlier report. Makes sense. The Arrow received a total of 291 UAP reports during this period, consisting of 274 that occurred during the period and 17 previously from 2019 to 2022, but weren't in previous reports. The the numbers at a glance, Dan? I mean, 
it's expected the numbers are going up. Um, I like that they're still bringing in the older reports. There's a little stat further on that 290 of these are in the air domain. Only one was in the maritime domain, yep, like the I ocean. Had, I had and that, yeah. None in space. And so that brings their total cases that they're juggling right now to uh, 801, I think is the number. Why? Why are none in space, do you think? And why only one USO? I think it's an issue with sensors. Later on in the report, they say that they're trying to integrate the space and the maritime domains, but they haven't done it yet. They're working on it, but, you know, we're, we're dragging heels here. Do you, do you think a large part of it as well is when it's in the air, folks flying jets and whatnot get some sort of visual, usually with their eyes, even if it's at a great distance, you know, these people have fantastic vision, or they have cameras that can see incredible distances, I'm sure, in the air and these are the kind of sensors that we don't get to see yet underwater you don't have windows on submarines you know it's not the starship enterprise underwater and <laughs> it's incredibly dark and um, do you know what folks and um, this is me uh, an insider told me it's incredibly dark under the water and it's really, <laughs> it's really hard to see far ahead of you so that might sound really obvious but that that could be a very good reason why if a uap is yeah. 50 foot ahead of you you're not going to see it yeah you're not going to see it you, you know there's um we, we spoke a little bit about uh, on Twitter about the sounds underwater as well. You know, the the uh, Julia, I think it was sound or Julie. Um, yeah. And also the, the bloop. You know, there are these famous sounds that have gone unexplained underwater. And it's really difficult to characterize them because all you have is the sound. And you can triangulate where they come from and you can match them to signatures. But ultimately, you're not getting that visual aspect of it there. And And even when we look at stuff like google earth and you can zoom down and you can see the the bottom of the ocean and how it looks that's all inferred from how the the ocean surface is changing so we just we we don't know there's there's nothing really down there that we can uh sensor wise that, that we can use to to get that visual look in that's a whole other discussion isn't it the fact that what we see from the bottom of the ocean is what we're told it looks like the same way the planets are here's what we think or what they say they look like from cameras and it's like yeah could i mean on when you see a picture of the earth you don't see all the cities, do you? You just see the land and the water normally in your classic yeah. picture. That's not to say that other planets aren't teeming with other life. Yeah, absolutely. We we could find an exoplanet that has a huge abundance of life, but unless, you know, we're, we're looking for those chemical signatures that tip us off and then we'll send the camera there and look, you, you know, um, and we see the images that come from Mars and things like that. And they're just, they're a bit dodgy, you, you know, they're getting better, but uh, they, they're a bit iffy for now. Yeah, that's so 2023, isn't it? That you look at a, a, a scrapbook now or a textbook of planets and go, yeah, this is what they want us to think <laughs> they look like. Modern hominid problems. <laughs> yeah, you're like, ha, 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 hashtag. Um, that'll never take off. That'll never go viral. No, I don't um, think so. <laughs> I, I don't know if you had anything else on the start. I then skipped to health and hazards because that was something I wanted to touch on. Um, Just one thing to add that like the there's a section here in the summary at the beginning that is literally repeated word for word when they get to a night section. So even within this document, they copy and paste in their own work to fill out this space. I think that's a massive signifier that these are, like you said, just phoned in the day before, you know, really basic yeah. reports. It's lazy. I think if you said to me, we have to drop a fake report online, could you mock something up in 20, 25 minutes? I'd probably put together something pretty similar. Actually, I think yeah. it'd be more interesting. I would, they, you know. They can't even be asked to write MJ12 on it and wink, you know. Exactly. Um, health and hazards, Dan. Okay, so during the reporting, Arrow received no reports indicating UAP sightings have been associated with any adverse health effects. Um, 
what are your thoughts on that? Because that's one I've seen a lot of folks talk about online. We've heard Gary Nolan, amongst others, mention that they have spoken to individuals who have suffered adverse health effects from encounters with UFOs, UAP in the past due to proximity, engaging these uh, orbs potentially flying through. We heard them in the through a car window, through like a, an intelligence official and out the other side, gave them a rare yeah. form of cancer that he managed to catch and, and, and get cured. Obviously very, very great, luckily. Um, but for me, do you think they would... I think if they put something in there to say that there was a case of one of these things causing an issue, it would open up too much discussion and debate. Yeah, that's the thing. Sorry, you're just hearing my dog in the background, if you can hear some noise there. Um, 100%, yeah. It sounds like (laughs) thunder has rolled in. (laughs) It's just sound effects. But yeah, you you know, if they say yes, there are adverse health effects, they open themselves up to all sorts of insurance claims across the US government, and that's obviously something they don't want to do. We saw them kind of handle that uh, with the, the... Havana syndrome and mm-hmm. how they tiptoed around all of that. So, yeah, you got to look at it that way. With insurance claims as well, we have to remember that um, if they're not, if effects aren't included at the time of the claim, they're not likely to kind of draw a line between the claim and a later mm-hmm. kind of developing health effect. Makes me think of John Burroughs, you know, the Randlesham case yeah. where they did take the readings at the site so you you could kind of go yeah i was exposed to radiation here and then i developed this cancer here so there's kind of a through line that's clear something that we have to remember is that gary nolan uh, has done a lot of work as has kit green on this and gary nolan commented uh, just today to kind of elaborate a little bit on his thoughts on it and his words were i have yet to hear from anyone at arrow i have been in touch with others in the u.s government on the issue they have all in all the information they need from me. I'm not needed for anything further at this point. There is still no uniformity of opinion on the matter. There are two clear camps that are rather polarized. There's nothing I can say at this point more than that. Not that I'm hiding anything. It's just a matter of opinion on what I see going on. And then he goes on to say, I feel our side is well represented and heard. Yeah. Um, I'm going to skip to what I have labeled in my notes as the bullshit section. Um, so bring it back at any point after I've done this, Dan, if there's if there's stuff missing. <laughs> so I'm going to read this paragraph, okay, that I just kind of sighed at. And I think we mentioned this being a big issue in the last one. And it's the idea that they're, they're making assumptions in what's meant to be a factual report. And it's frustrating. So this is what I wasn't happy with. While this progress is facilitating collection and analysis of the UAP problem set, the continued volume and unidentified nature of most UAP is a direct consequence of gaps in domain awareness. These gaps are the result of insufficient data secured by radar, electro-optical, infrared sensors, the presence of sensor artifacts such as infrared flare and optical effects such as parallax that can cause observational misperceptions. Based on the ability to resolve cases to date, with an increase in the quality of data secured, the unidentified and purported anomalous nature of most UAP will likely resolve to ordinary phenomena and significantly reduce the amount of UAP case submissions. So again, that's just, even though we've got lots of stuff here unidentified, um, it'll most likely be something prosaic because of this. You, You can't really conclude on that can you even though I'm, I'm guessing that is likely the case surely you have to still get that investigated you have to still make sure those sensors are upgraded and that can certainly be a recommendation but 
it just seems like that's part of the issue we've got with Sean Kirkpatrick and others involved in this right now is that they're happy to say it's probably nothing so let's not look at the stuff that might be something yeah and, and that's the thing that would probably right there's an assumption in that and they do say that their assumption is that these things resolve to really prosaic phenomena but that's kind of not the stuff we want to hear about, right? There are these throwaway lines through the report saying that 1%, uh, they don't fit any preconceived patterns or signatures that they're kind of in the databases they're building are prosaic things. That's that's the section that I want to see elaborated on. I want to see a 16 report page on that 1%. And I wonder if that classified report has something like that going in depth on these 1% and saying we can't figure it out because of X, Y, Z. In, in this one, we see a kind of an elaboration on... Um, or should I say a follow-up on the data that was presented earlier this year to on the NASA panel, where we'd see the percentages of the reports. Um, we have 21% reported UAP have lights. That's up from 16% previously. Um, 79% say no lights, but you correctly pointed out on social media, you know, is this daytime? Is this nighttime? Could the lights be on at night and not in the day? That's kind of innocuous data. Why aren't we being shown that, you know? Or, or are the lights present in the day, but you don't see them because it's Precisely. daytime? Like Exactly. Especially if they're kind of a, a result of the propulsion and things like that. Certain reactions might not be happening. Mm-hmm. So they're really limiting kind of what, what we can actually take away from these and trying to downplay it. We saw Kirkpatrick come out and do a article interview with CNN just before this report dropped and he was just very much like nothing to see here, nothing to see here. And then slid the reports online. I wonder what the reaction would be if he just put the report up without saying anything, if the media would be a bit more interested than listening to those sound bites from CNN, you know, there's some really interesting stuff here. For example, last time we didn't have the statistic that 53%, that's over half of UAP sightings are not reported. I mean, one, if they're not reported, I'd love to see how they got that data, but to, that that's a hell of a lot. Yeah, the that's shape, in the shape. The, the shape hasn't reported yet. Yeah, sure. Um, um, so they don't include those kind of things. Then we have the change in the sphere stuff. So spheres, they were 47% of the information, the reports um, on April 17th, 2023. Now that's down to 25%. Irregular shapes are 6%. Ambiguous sensor contact, whatever that means, is 5% now, down from 19%. Oval shapes are 4%. That's up from 3%. Uh, discs, 2%, that's the same. Rectangles, 2%, that's up from 1%. Triangles are 1% down from 2 and cylinders are 1% down from 2 So you're having these changes in data and really not much analysis on, you know, I, I had to put those comparisons together. You mm-hmm. would think that they would put those comparisons together and, and kind of say, yeah, you, you know. And I think that's because the FAA data is being included here. We can compare the map that's included in this report as well to the previous one. And there are new blotches kind of all across America for one, which I think is the commercial stuff. But also Alaska um, has a little blob off the coast in the ocean, as does the Pacific, the North Pacific and the Indian Ocean. Whereas last time... Just on that, this is you're talking about the world, and this is figure four, yes. the world map illustrating geographic distribution of UAP reports. So, so basically where, yeah, where they're reported from. Yeah, exactly. And the the stark thing there to me that I was just like, huh, last time, obviously in April, we just had the shoot downs. So there in Alaska, we have that little blob kind of signifying that the UAP was put in Alaska. That's gone now. Did they mm-hmm. resolve that? Are they going to tell us what that was that they shot down in Alaska? Or are they just going to keep pretending that it didn't happen? It's a little things like this that just, it's easy to see why people are frustrated with these reports when they're just trying to do these things in plain sight and just essentially gaslight people. That's what it feels like, right? 
anything in the fact that this map confirms flat earth theory to you <laughs> no, it doesn't. It doesn't. Just so the way, cage. Just yeah, just the way it's represented. A very slight path, and you fall off the bottom. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's it's very much lacking. And like you say, Dan, I think you've done more comparison within that than than they've put an effort into the the report itself. I wonder, are you disappointed in the lack of reaction afterwards, and even attention paid to this from Senator Gillibrand? DNI Avril Haynes, folks who just a year, 18 months ago, seemed to be champions for the UAP UFO subject for a very bright time and their candle seemed to burn out very quickly. Is that just a case of things have moved on in the world and they are they're, they're, they're more involved in other stuff? Is it just they're no longer interested? Have they been dissuaded? I, I don't know where you sit with that. Well, we're kind of seeing a, a passing of the candle to people like Tim Burchett and Luna and people like that who are, who are developing this UAB caucus. And they've been pushing for the um, the meetings in the skiff with David Grush, which we've just had confirmed, you know, uh, yeah. on I think it's the DOD IG is going to facilitate a meeting on the 26th of October. The intelligence community IG is doing the November 16th. So that's going to be really interesting. But I wonder if people like Gillibrand are kind of stepping off the accelerator a bit because this stuff is happening and because people are pushing. But it is disappointing to not see her kind of go, you know what, when we talk about transparency, we're talking about transparency with the public. And you guys really aren't playing ball here. The the line they seem to toe is that NATSEC issue or national security issue but they're not really talking to the people who are going to be affected, i.e. the person that filmed the Chinese spy balloon and found it for the America, you know, it got through their filters yeah. and systems. Uh, if those people aren't informed, then then we're going to miss things, right? There's big holes in their defenses. A good place to bring in a couple of things there. The first one, Dan, though, you posted online, um, the and a few people had, sorry, it wasn't exclusively to you, but I first saw it when you done it. The video from 2022 of the U.S., Air, military aircraft yes. being buzzed, as they say, by a, a Chinese fighter jet. So basically US and Chinese military both in the air and the Chinese jet seemed to be just toying with the US jet that it flew yeah. across it and caused a bit of a wake, a bit of turbulence. It flashed some flares at it from a distance of 900 feet, which is pretty close in aviation terms. And it got close enough. We've got this beautiful HD video, don't we, of the jet flying right next to it. I yep. love that you screenshot and showed, look, you can see occupants. You, yeah, can, right. see, you can see the guy's like cheeks under the the mask and the helmet and you know that typical fighter jet pilot look we're used to seeing. And it's like all the times we ask for that sort of clarity of quality of picture, it's like, okay, if the tic-tac, the gimbal and the go fast are nothing at all worth, you know, if it's just foreign tech, then you know what, stick it online, let's see it. I get they might have caught something. And again, let's just go with those three videos are Chinese technology, but far more advanced than fighter jets. Mega, mega secret drones. Maybe they don't want them to know they've filmed them. However, I would find that hard to believe given the proximity and whatnot. So that's yeah. the situation when you see that kind of clear quality, isn't it? Go, that's what we're looking for. And that's, and it, sorry, I'm go going on. No, you go. <laughs> the point I wanted to make is that's what we are assuming people like Lou Elizondo, Chris Mellon, and others within the US government, and this is what potentially they're seeing within skiffs and briefings, this is what they are seeing. We can show you this video actually or something pretty close up that we don't know what it is. Sorry, I was on mute. Yes, you absolutely. Have. Been a while. So yeah, it has been a while. Uh, yeah, 
these people are seeing this thing, these things in skiffs. We've had senators come out of skiffs and say, I don't know what that was, but it didn't feel like it was of this world. And these are informed people, people that kind of have a hand in and know about classified programs, or some of them, I should say, some classified programs. That's the fair statement. And if, if they're baffled by this stuff, then it's probably not China. You know, we had, uh, I think it was Marco Rubio uh, a while back said that, you know, the, these things have been looked at and there's a whole bunch of different platforms that they've cross-checked. They're not US technology. There's, it's nothing that we've seen in the arsenal from China. And there's no, you know, with technology, we see the development of it, right? Uh, you'll, you'll see. So for example, when the US was kind of keeping an eye on Iran's nuclear program, they didn't have to see the nuclear centrifuges underground to know that Iran were doing a nuclear program because they could just see the materials they were gathering and the kind mm-hmm. of facilities they were setting up. And they were like, oh, yeah, this is clearly what's happening. That kind of thing leaves a trail. So if there's no trail for technology like that, then what the hell are these things? And why why aren't we being more transparent with them? And even if it's not you know, with us, because admittedly, what can we do with that information minus go in the street and hold up a sign and say, in the end is nigh or we're not alone or something like that. But scientists like Avi Loeb and people like that, they, they should be maybe not giving them classified data, but kind of saying, hey, we're going to give you the raw data of these things so that you can you can help us figure this out, quite frankly, because we are baffled and we have the best sensor systems on the planet. But again, I'd be then having two conversations that we're talking about the frustration of an un- unclassified report. This is just what they have to feed the public, whereas the classified version of things could be considerably different. I, I think the the key phrase here is there's a there's a section in the this report that is called strategic comms or communications, and I think that's exactly what we're seeing when when we see those kind of videos of the Chinese jets and things like that. It's strategic. It's kind of saying to the American public, "Hey, China are costing us, so that if any military action is taken in the future, we know exactly where we stand with that country." You know, it's to a certain degree, it's it's propaganda, and. It's not, it's not transparency in the way that we want it. And it's really frustrating because it just keeps everyone kind of talking about the lack of information in the gaps and trying to fill it with their own ideas instead of just going with actual objective data, you know? Yeah. And I think we forgot to mention um, something else we we're going to bring up before when we talked about sensors and stuff, Dan. Um, I posted a clip online a few days ago, didn't I, of an old um, Lou Elizondo interview and on the interview, Lou mentioned a sensor, and it was one sensor that would be useful in detecting um, UFOs, UAP. And, and I think it caused a bit of a stir at the time, and loads of folk talked about it. It's always been mentioned since, not just because of me speaking to Lou about it, but other people have mentioned it. And I, I reached out to Lou because other people, again, brought up the why can people find out and other people can't, etc. And I just said, is this something you're still keeping close to your chest? Because... I've had a few guests in the past bring up something that I thought sounded very close or similar, yeah. um, including Avi Loeb and Eric Davis, which was interesting. And Lewis said to me that he was happy for me to mention that... Wait, the, Eric the, Bard or Davis? Eric Bard, sorry. Yeah, Eric, sure. uh, yeah, Eric <laughs> Davis, not yet. Um, <laughs> One day. Yeah, Eric Bard from Skinwalker Ranch mentioned something he would love to do if money was no object. So uh, Lewis said to mention that it was the LIGOS, which is the laser infra- infrared strategic grid am i making up no that's wrong uh ligo ligo gravitational wave sensor um what's it it stand for again you'll know this come on off the top uh, of your head dan no off the top of my head if you give me a second if you fill a little bit of space yeah yeah, because i'll just i'll just confirm yeah so obviously it's a laser system um and lou said that you only have to compare 
For example, UAP incident reports by local law enforcement, so the police, for example, and compare them to registered gravitational anomalies and see if there's a match, which we know there already is. So Lou's making the point, like, again, Eric uh, Bard did, Avi Loeb and others, if you have a network of lasers that can match gravitational anomalies or changes in the waves, that if Dan goes out and sees a UFO above his house in Wales, then he reports that to the police. Then using those lasers, they can check basically small movements and ripples in the air and they can say, actually, yeah, there was something at that time that has caused some kind of disturbance in the force, let's just say. And <laughs> is that fair enough, Dan? And that's essentially yeah, what absolutely. we were talking about. I'm sure there's loads more to it than that, but essentially that's what it was. So it doesn't have to be a big secret. That's It's just at the time it wasn't common knowledge as such. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think part of why people hung on to that is because it was called a simple sense. So people were like, well, I could have this in my pocket. We can't, you know, these are massive facilities. And LIGO is, by the way, it stands for Laser Interferometer Gravitational Wave Observatory, LIGO. Obviously, obviously. Um, and that's one size. And we've actually got another one being built called LISA, uh, which is going to be three satellites in space that kind of triangulate. So that'll be a lot more sensitive. And this year, we also had low gravitational waves. Um, or low-frequency gravitational waves detected. So I remember posting about that on Twitter because that that was, or X, I should say now, because uh, that was a big deal. You know, we're seeing all these gravitational waves across the spectrum that can be used to, to kind of infer that these things are there. There's actually an app that you can get called GW Events. This is on, uh, I've got an iPhone, I think it's available on Android, and it just notifies you when a gravitational wave is detected. And it's really handy because, you know, if anyone comes to me and say says, oh, you know, I just saw a UFO, I can tell them whether there was a gravitational wave there. Another thing to note is this was mentioned in Monsters of California, and it surprised me that basically when a lot of UAP congregate in one place, they create essentially a bigger ripple in the pool. So even if you can't see all the way across the pool to the UAP, if you're at the edge, you can see the ripple and you can infer that something is there. Exactly. So, yeah. Uh, you, hundred percent. Sorry, Dan. I'm just looking up uh, very quickly online. That's fine. Yeah, but that's that's essentially. A, a, I didn't think it had to be a big hoo ha. And yeah, just a few yeah. folks got a little bit upset about it online. So there you go. There, there's what it is. That's it. Feel free to clip and share. It's <laughs> sometimes you just have to ask people and they tell you. That's it's it, amazing, you know. isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's again secret communities, folks. But it turns out if you just ask, you know, then information can be given yeah um, sometimes exactly. folks say no sometimes they say yes but there you go um so uh dan anything else somebody uh, to finish on that report because i've got nothing else to say on it tick tick box for me yeah i think tick box is fair there were a few things that kind of jumped out for me um just in terms of i mean i've, I've hit the the main bits on the morphologies the shapes and things like that um there was a a small mention of the office or arrow employing more sensors specifically tailored for UAP detection. And that was alluded to before, but now they're talking about it as if it's fact that they've got these sensors out there. I want to know what these sensors do. What are they detecting? What is the signature that they've been geared to? You know, this is really interesting. How many why do you, do you why do you have there? the right? Oh, well, you the the question. Right. I, I might not have the need to know, you know? <laughs> but, but as a science nerd, I'd love to know. Um, I, and I hope that people like Avi Loeb are being told because they're deploying sensors and, and it would be really helpful if, if they could include something that is known to pick them up. It just kind of 
infers that they know the signatures of these things, that there's something consistent with them that allows them to detect them. And, and we've heard people like Bob Fish talk about uh, frequencies and certain frequencies when these craft come out of the water or change from, you, you know, traveling in water to traveling in air. There's a shift there and there's a frequency you can detect. It's not the only one. Obviously, there would be more, but yeah, they're, they're building a, or have built a, a, a picture of what a UAP should look like which is weird when you think about, you know, something unidentified, what that should look like. There's clearly something consistent in this 1% of anomalies that, that are repeatedly the same thing. So, you know, let's let's have a bit of conversation there. We also had uh, the strategic communication section talked about declassification and the Arrow successfully exercised the process, its process for declassifying data and full motion videos for the hearing they say this process is complicated, uh, that it's a synchronized effort that includes various stakeholders, but they're working to standardize and make it routine. So hopefully we should see a bit more transparency there. I'm not hopeful, though, to be honest. You know, I want to see it. I hold out hope, but based on the way this is going, it's a bit disappointing. There's a little section called the way forward that kind of talks about things they should do in the future. Specifically in this, the, the area of interest for me is the space and maritime domains. I mentioned this a little bit earlier, that they're trying to kind of get those processes in place for, you know, ship captains and astronauts to, to report these things in a timely manner. Again, if these sensors, these UAP sensors are on satellites, they're going to be able to pick things up outside the atmosphere. And we need to be able to do that in a timely manner. You know, let's chuck one on every Starlink. I'm sure Elon Musk would love a Nobel Prize for getting the first up close footage of a UAP uh, we also have an example of a case closure report, and that's the first that we've seen. Uh, it includes key findings. It includes an intelligence assessment, a separate science and tech assessment, case essentials, and comp comparison to known data like flight paths and satellites and things like that. But there's also a weirdly small chunk on that that's redacted. It's a small black triangle at the end of the first page. I'm just like, what, what could possibly be there that's so touchy, you know? Does it just say aliens? I, I don't know. It could say anything. Although I would like to see for parity uh, an example of case still opened, but one that's intriguing and interesting. Yes, exactly. That would be fair, right? Like, this is what a case closed look like. This is what an ongoing case looks like. So, so yeah, that, that uh, transparency is there. Then we have a couple of, there's the glossary at the end of it, uh, the report, and there are a couple of interesting things in there. So they define a space UAP and a seabone UAP, finally. Uh, and the space UAP is anything above the Kármán line, which is fair. That's a common transition to yeah. space. You know, there's no hard line. It's just the atmosphere gets thinner. So 100 kilometers above the mean sea level of the planet, that's space. Seabone is below that mean sea level. Air is between the two. There's a UAP objects and material definition there that mentions corporeal artifacts of UAP, which kind of piqued my interest. Corporeal is usually used to kind of talk about related to a person's body or spirit. And I'm just like, what the hell's that doing there? Like, <laughs> I, it's a really curious word to use. And they always have these little, these little throwaway words in that kind of make you go, huh? Like why, why, like biologics, like, you know, there were some in the last report as well. It, it's odd. We also have the definition of UAP engagement, uh, which says bringing UAP under kinetic or non-kinetic fire to deny, disrupt, or destroy the phenomena and or its objects. UAP engagement is nowhere to be found in the document we're seeing. So I guess that's in the classified version. Yeah. Are they talking about firing? Because kinetic and non-kinetic, that's just firing bullets or using something could, like could that reference wave. shutdowns. Exactly. Exactly my thoughts. So maybe that's a clue to what's in this kind of classified report. 
And then we have UAP interrogation, where they kind of list all the different sensors that are being used to, to kind of look at UAP. And right there, just to go back to that sensor that Lou mentioned, gravitational is mentioned right there. So there it is in plain sight this whole time, you know? You've said in plain sight several times. So shout out to Ross. Ross, Ross is paying me, yeah. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you say it, yeah. Five Australian dollars, <laughs> which is four UK pence. Yeah. <laughs> Hello to all the Australian listeners and viewers. Um, Dan, let's move on to something which I think, for me anyway, was a little bit more interesting. I'm not doing a full rundown spoiler review of it. I don't think you have the chance to fully catch it yet either. But um, the weaponized episode recently that had James Lakatsky and Colm Kelleher returning, yes. uh, along with George, Jeremy Corbell and George Knapp, um, they've got a new book out. So the follow-up to Skinwalkers at the Pentagon that was penned by James Lakatsky, Colm Kelleher, George Knapp. Uh, James didn't really do many appearances at all and for anyone who's going to reach out and say and have done already Andy get James Lakatsky on that's a very hard thing to do I think it was difficult enough for Jeremy and George to get him on yeah um it was difficult enough for George to stay on his own show given he got cut off after 20 minutes and they had to have George on via phone um but yeah the, the new book they've got is Inside the Government Covert UFO Program Initial Revelations so I I very much suggest people go and watch this one. Don't listen to it. And that's not me telling you not to go and download it because it's competition. It's not an audio. It's not a discussion for audio. This is one you have to watch for a few reasons, okay? Um, I'll get to that. But definitely, if you're going to check it out, and you should, do it via YouTube because there's various reasons for that, all right? Um, James Lakatsky, for those who aren't familiar or maybe newer to the subject, is James T. Lakatsky. He was the Defence Intelligence Agency Programme Manager and the Contracting Officer Representative, Security Coordinator and Counter-Intel Coordinator for OSAP, the Advanced Aerospace Weapon System Applications Programme, which we all know by now was the $22 million UFO re- research effort. Um, James Lakatsky was also referred to as Luella Zondo's boss for a while, wasn't he? That was something that was... Yeah, that's right. Yeah, um, and then Lou seemed to take over from that. I 100% understand there seems to still be a grey area amongst the timeline in the middle of that and when things changed. And I think until you got James and Lou Elizondo on the same show or the same discussion to clear that up. And even then, I don't think, Dan, it would get cleared up. Does that? Do you think, do you agree with me that if the two of those yeah. talked about it, I reckon there would be enough something there that it would be like, wait a minute, okay, so when did it end and finish and who did take over from... It sounds like there's something there that just with the nature of these things, that's the way it is, yeah? Yeah, and and I mean, you know, we I could tell you I'm going to the shop and in five days you'd be like, oh, Dan went to the shop at five and it's actually 6.05. You, you know, like these things happen. Yeah. It doesn't mean that there's any malintent or anyone's lying or stuff like that. Just there's a little bit of crossover. We, we heard in Lou's IG complaint a kind of definitive version from him where apparently OSAP was handed over to him within 24 hours. He ended OSAP and embraced the military side of it for ATIP. Uh, that, that for me seems to be the definitive one, but definitive is very ropey in that sentence. It's do a lot of heavy lifting. Yeah. I'm not too fussed on that at the minute. Personally, I don't think most folks Same. are, I get the folks who love the detail. There's something there for them. Go for it. Yeah. That'd be great to find that out. And it'd be interesting to me. But, um, so the main thing was James Lakatsky and Colm Kelleher joined Jeremy Corbell, George Knapp on episode 38 of weaponized. Um, it seems it got a reputation very quickly. So I didn't get to catch it. It 
it premieres normally about 8am in the UK, 12pm midnight in the US, so you can wake up to it, but I've been really busy at work the last few weeks in the office and didn't get to catch it till later in the day. I logged on to social media, Twitter, X, whatever you want to call it, and could see a lot of folks talking about it. People were frustrated, yeah. people in the Discord chat were messaging about saying they were frustrated and James Lekatsky came across a certain way. So it's become a little bit infamous. So I was really interested when I went to watch it, why that reaction was. And I'll be really honest, Dan, early on, and I do want you to get to watch it, by the way. I'm sure you will. Yeah, absolutely. I've got it open on a tab. I'll get to it. I'm intrigued on your take. Uh, Early on, I don't think it's as bad as people made out. Um, Okay. I I got the impression some, some of the complaints were around James Lekatsky talking over Jeremy Corbell. Um, as somebody who has in the past used Zoom, I don't know how much of that was for people being on a call with connection issues and there yeah. being a slight lag. Um, We've had that, haven't we? Like it'll yeah. sound like we're talking over each other, but it's not. It's just we're a second out, so it looks like we are. Hundred percent, and that that's something that can happen with Zoom. Again, depending on where they are in connection strength and speed, I get the impression a little bit of it was just James Lekatsky's. Dan, I don't know how much of that potentially was down to James Lekatsky's character. And I don't know if that even character is the right word in the sense that he he's older and he seemed to just want to answer the question. If I was going to ask you a question, Dan, are you okay with that? But but when I say, are you okay with that? I'm going to ask you a second question afterwards. And even then, before you answer that second question, Dan, here's a third question that's the way some of the stuff was being phrased. Not wrongly, okay. that's just, you know, and I felt James was coming in and answering that first question straight away. And this is going to sound like I'm sticking up for him and some people might disagree. Um, but I got the feeling that when he spoke, and do you get this, Dan, sometimes on software, when you speak, the other person's audio can stop. And I got the impression sometimes, not always, but he wasn't hearing Jeremy speaking when he started sure. talking. Um so, and I just don't think he's particularly adapt at using Zoom. Honestly, I I got the feeling early on going, this isn't this isn't as big an attitude problem as people have made out, right? Um, so I think at least a bit of it was down to that. Not to say that it doesn't become a bit awkward and flustery as the conversation goes along, um, but I'll get to that, right? A few things, and again, folks, this isn't a full review of that. Go listen to Weaponize. Go watch it. Uh, go watch it. Don't, I, I would say don't listen because you'll get more out of watching this one. I think that that'll make sense when you watch it as well. I could see how if people have listened to the audio only, it will give them a certain impression. Sure. And it, it does get a bit messy, but the yeah. video helps clear that up. So um, More data gives people a better picture of what happens. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Um, as we've just seen in the previous report, Dan, and I'm sure that's what you were referencing. <laughs> it was, yeah. Uh, so Lekatsky mentions OSAP uh, was for UFOs and paranormal research, and it's important to remember that it, that they were both being looked at along the same time and the link between them. He says they completed uh, a five-year project in two years, and it looked at the links between both the UFO and the paranormal phenomenon. Folks, if you're getting a little bit of a, you're aware of some cutting happening here in and out, uh, as me and Dan talk about people having issues with connectivity, the weather, I think, is playing havoc with some of the signals and connections we're having. So it's cut off a few times. So we're doing our best here, 40 minutes in. Um, But what I was saying, Dan, previously, just when you cut off again, is that 
James Lukatsky mentioned OSAP was for UFO and paranormal research. That's what the contract was, um, that they could be linked. They said, he said they completed a five-year project in two years, I believe $10 million the first year, $12 million the second year. That's where the $22 million comes comes from. A really interesting um, edit. I've not seen anyone pick up on, but again, just the way I was watching it. And again, if you watch, I don't think you would have on audio. He mentions um, Axelrod. He says, talking about the book, and when we mention Axelrod, there's a very quick cut, and it's definitely, there's a jump. So something's been cut out, and then he says, or Lou Elizondo. I reckon he said a Uh, name that they've taken out. Yes. If you want to go pure conspiracy theory on that, feel free. But if you watch that little bit near the start, he mentions Axelrod, and then you you see the cut. There's been an edit, and I think he's taken something out. That's that's a good shout, and let's you know people cut out the bit about the sensor and ask the questions. So cut cut that bit out, and let's ask the question to Jeremy, and let's find out was that cut because the name was mentioned that shouldn't be mentioned. Clear up. Um, a few other notes I've got here. So something that made me think straight away was given his role and what he's done within government, and no doubt a substantial salary. I doubt James Lakatsky, especially as in UFO books for the payout. I don't think, even let's say he made $25,000, which I don't think they will, even for three of them, um, even with a successful UFO book, I just don't think that's what they would make. Um, I, I couldn't see him being bothered to do it. It would seem strange, you know? I, I, but that's, yeah. I could be wrong, but just, just my impression, I'm like, I don't see this guy being in it for the money. Um a really interesting point, I think, one of the big talking points. And this is where there's a bit of the, not tension, because I think clearly Jeremy has met, and, and James Lukatsky says, you know, I've met you a few times, Jeremy, and they're trying to have a really interesting conversation. You know that thing, Dan, where people mention people don't ask the hard questions? Yeah. And sometimes there's a reason for that as to it's not worth it potentially because you're not going to get an answer, so word that a different yeah. way. There's a whole conversation goes on throughout this around, why he isn't answering questions, why he can't, or why he's even avoiding questions, and they keep going back on it. And that's the kind of awkwardness people I think I've mentioned. Uh, Right at the start of chapter nine of the book, George Knapp says that James Lukatsky mentions a craft of unknown origin that the US government has access to the inside or managed to get access to the inside of. So it's inferred they had something that they couldn't get into, but then managed to get into I wonder um, if that's what Ross Coltard was alluding to in the Project Unity interview uh, with Ross and Nick Cook, where I've that was brought that up again. It was brought up, you know, that Ross has heard that the, the US government has access to the inside of UFO and that only certain individuals with certain genes or certain abilities kind of alluding to telepathic or consciousness uh, can access these these craft and can control these craft. And it's not the first time that we've heard this, right? You know, it was in Taken. It was in Stargate SG-1. Stephen Greer. Stephen Greer, yes. Uh, so, yeah, it, it's come up a lot. Yeah. Um, do you think that's an indication of size as well? Would they say we've got one we can access the inside of? It's not particularly small. And you know when we hear sometimes these saucers that crash, they, the illustrations seem to make them look almost like you couldn't fit inside it unless you're talking TARDIS type material and situation. I thought that was interesting. Um, Yeah, that's a good observation. And technically, there's no reason why it couldn't be a TARDIS type thing, right? Like we're we're talking about space time and portals and technology that 
you know, can, can manipulate this stuff. So there's no reason why the inside can be bigger. But yeah, also, you're absolutely right. There's why would there be a human sized chair in it? You know, all the chairs we design on Earth are made for us. And still, there are people that don't fit in those chairs. They're too small or too big, you, you know. So extrapolate that to another species. Why, why would we be able to fit inside it? Yeah, Lakatsky mentions the the review for this process uh, for the DOD for the book was seven months, which is really quick. He said Skinwalkers at the Pentagon was 14 months. He does put across that the review process and the fact this has gone through a review process means that his wording about the access to a craft of unknown origin makes it true. And I think we have to be fair and mention that that's that's the inference I got from him. Sure. Um, but we know that's not the case now, don't we? That it could be, a, you could write a book, Dan, working for the US government or any government full of lies and they can approve it, but it just means that it's not breaking any national security oath and they're happy with everything that's in it. Doesn't yeah, mean that's all true. That's, Do- that's Stops a review does not mean that the government is backing what's said in that book. It just means that they've cleared it. It doesn't contain any class of information. That's it. Something, you, you know, you could even say that something like being inside a UFO uh would would be classified so that shouldn't be in there but it doesn't infer that it's true thinking dan you know in the matrix when they get inside the matrix by being plugged into it but they're not actually there what if that's how they get inside some of these things that it's like a you know they're lying in bed asleep unconscious or in a bed and that's a different conversation forget yeah, yeah, it absolutely it, it makes me think of um independence day you know we've had this here and it's just woken up it's a pretty exciting day. Ever oh, since that's not what I call exciting. <laughs> turned up all the gizmos and gadgets just turned on. Precisely. Um, or Avatar, one of the worst films of all time, but interesting concept. <laughs> Wait, um, are we talking The Last Day of Ender? Or, I mean, a terrible film still, but... All of them. All of them. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I thought that was a really interesting takeaway. Um, he mentions a few things like, no one has yet looked at why OSAP was started, but he can't answer that. A long discussion comes off the back of that, Dan. Um, yeah, right Right at the beginning of this book, it says that it's dedicated to Robert Bigelow and Harry Reid. Yeah. Why it was started, I would say, is because Harry Reid and Daniel Inouye and uh, Inoue, sorry, and another senator, I'm forgetting their name, unfortunately, but I know who you mean. they championed it, right? That's that's why I would say it got started. That's so I'd be very not, curious if it wasn't That's there. not what's being inferred, as in Ooh. he made it out that there was reason or reasons this program happened, not that okay. a few people wanted it to happen. That would be how it came to be. He made out that it started for reasons, but he okay. couldn't go into it. And again, at this point, George had been cut off the connection and Jeremy literally had to sit with his phone like this and um, with George on speaker for the rest of the interview. Monday um, wonders. <laughs> Technology. There, there comes a point where Colm is just sitting watching James Lakatsky and Jeremy go back and forward. Um, but, but Andy, iPhones are really, you know, modern day phones are really advanced. Why, why would they not work? Why, why would computers not work? Almost like they're not infallibly. Yeah. Um, it's, I, I get there's folks have said, Dan, and it's just, just my opinion, and I've not seen the entire thing. I watched most of it and was going back and forward on it, trying to take notes. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, that the issue is, sorry, I'm just getting a, a call through on my Mac and that's not happened before. Um, did you still hear everything I said there? Yes. We'll leave that bit in. Sorry, folks. I'm on my Mac and I've just had a call come through. He's, he's a popular guy. It was Lukowski. Uh, <laughs> Tom DeLong, maybe. Have you, hey, Andy, have you heard the new album yet? <laughs> this is like a non-human intelligence. Got a new consciousness set up and just everything's thrown him. Um, <laughs> so sorry, folks. But yeah, I was making the point there that it goes into this kind of long-winded back and forward between Jeremy 
and James Lukatsky, and Jeremy keeps pushing that you're not actually answering the question I'm asking you. And James Lukatsky is making all these references as to, well, he is answering it because he said this, and then he mentions Colm said this earlier, and that's very similar to this. And look at the back of the book. It talks about the review. Everything I'm saying has been cleared. And even George on speakerphone is going, no, you're not answering the question. The question we (laughs) asked you is this. And Jeremy's trying his best. And, you know, I felt for Jeremy at times because he really is trying to push the way people want interviewers to push. And this is a guy, Jeremy Corbell, who gets a lot of aggro from from people in the UFO community about him not asking the right questions or the way he does it. He really tried to make clear in so many ways to James Lukatsky, you're you're being evasive and it's, it's, it's getting difficult for me to ask you the question because you just don't want to. And I think what annoyed people was the way James Lukatsky re- responded and kind of laughed and people have memed it a little bit. I didn't get as much frustration from that, but I think if you've watched the video version, that maybe makes a little bit more sense. But it's that fine line between, okay, and I've got this to ask you here, Dan, if you're going to have people like this uh, with Colm Kelleher, George Knapp, writing books where they they can only go so far or they feel they're giving you enough to point you in a direction. James Lukatsky mentioned this book and the previous book both open a lot of doors. And while he can't give the answers, these are almost directions as to where to look. And sure. he feels people are missing the point on that. So like, I'm like guessing, lose breadcrumbs. Yeah. He's sitting there with, you know, I've said this and surely you're going to go down that path, but you aren't or you haven't yet. Um, he mentions people are looking for a bottom line on this phenomenon. And he says there either may not be a bottom line or there are several bottom lines. So, I, Oh, that's I an intriguing line, isn't it? I don't know yet. I need to finish watching it, but also probably go back and watch bits of it again to change or form my opinion fully that as he just not accustomed to those types of interviews, but also struggling between a place of, I'm giving you some clues, but I don't know why you're not picking up on them. I, I don't know. And I wonder, Dan, is it, would you rather he he and folks like that did talk about dogmen, dino beavers, spacecraft being found and buildings being built over them? And you're allowed to discuss and build on that and, and take that whatever you want. Or would you rather they didn't mention it at all and you don't have any of that information? Because I think that seems to be the, the argument and the fight between many. Yeah, I, I mean, in one way I understand it because, you know, take, take Ross and the clues for the giant UFO that had a building built over it. Mm-hmm. That's an intriguing data point. It's intriguing to talk about, to think about. You know, there's a lot of research comes from that. And there, there are a lot of implications in terms of the history of this phenomenon and how the US government handles it it's not just about the craft having the building built over it you know so you're right there there are clues and there are people out there that would rather those things aren't mentioned personally i love that they're mentioned because it means that to a certain degree at least ross is trying to be a little transparent at least james is trying to push that line a little bit but if people are going to miss them at the same time i can see why that must be really frustrating on their part for them to just be like i'm holding up a sign here and you're telling me that i've told you nothing when in fact i'm telling you a lot more if you read between the lines and instead, people are getting wound up about connection issues and things like that, you know. Yeah. It's sometimes advantageous to kind of sit back and let everyone else do the arguing and just kind of see where the chips lay because, you know, Ross talked more about it to you. He elaborated as to why he couldn't say these things and he has genuine reasons. Again, it's a case of just be patient, ask the questions. And oftentimes we get more data on these things and more information on these things. 
And it's just, it's not worth the frustration. I get it. We want more. We want it now. But this is a slow trickle, you know? Yeah. And I feel that's when you get comments like, come back in five years. Yes. It's Don't take that as a as an insult or, you know, as a dig at anyone. But if you really are struggling with that, then it's almost like you'll have to put up with five years of this and you'll be frustrated. But maybe then in five years, take a step back and look how much has happened and then go, look, that's, it's the it's the sum of its parts and not one big part. That's the way I kind of look at some of those statements. Trying to be nice, though, of course. Yeah, that, that's true. And like, let's wind the clock back five years. Where were we five years ago on this? We didn't have legislation. We didn't have a single UAP report. Like the picture looked very different. And the way that it's developed is, is you know, we, we all have our ideas of what this phenomena is. And it's changed a lot from our initial preconceptions. It's just, like you said, it's not trying to be insulting. It's just trying to be pragmatic about it. You know, maybe if you step back and then you come back in five years, you're going to see there's the pile of information you've got to go through instead of just one interview every month that can get frustrating, you know? Yeah, that's it. Um, uh, the last comment I want to talk about is he mentions um, tantalizingly speaking of speculation. If full human capabilities were known to us right now, this is something we wouldn't need to fear. Jeremy Corbell pulls him back on that. Um, because he was talking about the nature of what the phenomenon might be. He then says, he thinks about it and goes, no, I can't go any further into that. That's it. That's a very interesting statement to make. And Corbell asks him, is that because you can or you won't or you're not? Anyway, just because, and he sidebars a little bit. But yeah, that's that's a hell of a statement to make, that if full human capabilities were known to us right now, this is something we wouldn't need to fear. That He said, we've, we've barely tapped the potential of humanity. So pretty interesting comment dan yeah re- really interesting you know lekaski was the guy that at skinwalkie he saw that shape in the air in the kitchen and the phenomena seemed to beckon to him to come do the that work was like the the tubular bell tubular bells yeah, yeah exactly yeah. you know it, it seemed to kind of go there's something here that you want to kind of you, you know look into uh then we had the hitchhiker effect and things like that these could be you know consciousness parasites you know what if it's just an energy kind of parasite that hooks onto people or something like that and it's not contagious in a diseased way it's just it follows you we that also makes me think of things like remote viewing and things like that where it's not it's not magic there's a process to it and it's a natural ability yet for some reason bringing that into a conversation about ufos is too much for some people you know so part of me wonders if he didn't say it because he kind of wants the conversation to be quite conservative in terms of, you know, where we are. Like, that's relative. It's not conservative. We're talking about, you know, dino beavers and poltergeists and things like that. Do you know Do you know what that made me think of there? Not totally relevant, but in a way. Um, Star Trek The Next Generation once had an episode where the the folks that were doing the um, teleport, what's the teleporter called again? Not the teleporter. You know, when you... Tra- transport the beam you know when you stand on the big spot and then the thing oh yeah the beam me up sky yeah 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 the the, the the beam thing god that's annoying me the beam anyway thing. we're gonna call it yeah. beam thing. when it does it and you turn on the energy and you transport to somewhere else it shows you them being inside it and transporting and there was a whole episode how things were living within that energy and attacking them while they were transferring but oh, it turns out they were people who were stuck in there and they had to eventually grab them and get them out. And it was like that whole idea of something else living in an energy that we can't see, but it's there. And they managed to pull them out now and again, depending on how they interact with it. And yeah, just interested. That's Made really me think cool. of that. And, and bouncing off that, there's the show The Expanse. 
you know, at some point they have kind of portals that are kind of like stargates. And it turns out that when ships go through them, there are animals, they refer to them as sharks at some point that live in that space. Mm -hmm. And when we go into that space, it's like blood in the water and we've got to get out of there real fast. There's no reason why, you know, eventually those things could kind of say, oh yeah, I see these things coming through. We need to do something about this because they're intruding on our space. Really interesting ideas. Um, A couple of things, Dan. Um, A few thoughts from the Discord chat. Again, if you sign up to the podcast, folks, and on any platform and pay for it, you get access to the Discord. and props to the members there as well because there's a lot of conversation around controversial issues and it's always so respectful and just so mature that yeah just it's it's a pleasure to be i only ever had to speak to someone once and it was all very amicable and that was it so yeah it was 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 that when you spoke to me no 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 actually no (laughs) if i include you then twice Don't post copyright material. <laughs> um, so um, a few folks, um, Sneaky McDave says, if Lakatsky is not for disclosure, as he stated on Weaponized, why is he releasing books about Skinwalker Ranch and telling people the US have been inside downed spacecraft? What is his play? And I get the point that on one hand, he's talking about, I can't say this, I can't say that. But yeah, I can tell you about being inside a UFO. Again, that even not just James Lakatsky, but anyone who's given that type of, type of information where do you sit, Dan? I, I think before kind of being able to answer that properly, I'd need to know what disclosure meant to James Lukatsky. We often touch on how disclosure means different things to different people. So does disclosure to James Lukatsky mean that everything is revealed and that's not what he's for because it would you know, affect the defense capabilities of the United States of America? Or is he just saying he doesn't want us to know about the phenomena at all? There's gray area in between these that, that Lukatsky probably lives in and he, he received funding from the US government to do jobs. So we, we've got, I think it's safe to assume that similar to Grush, he swore an oath to protect the country, to do the work and to not endanger the country, you know? So there's a bottom line there of how much are they willing to share until their itch for transparency is satisfied? Because it's definitely not everything. Yeah, there's a lot of opinion on there on it when I asked. Um, Major Truth said, I don't question his access or credentials, but I am confused by his behaviour in that podcast interview. Uh, Dalamar says, Lukatsky was an ass in that interview for sure. He made overgeneralizations that might make people question his actual access. Like when he said, and quote, all SAPs have active counterintelligence officers working on them. That's categorically a false statement. And for someone with such super secret access, he sure complained a lot about what people say on Twitter, which isn't what serious people do or care about. Um, And a lot of folk agreed with the idea that people like that are either trying to purport disinformation deliberately or not deliberately. Um, Yeah, uh, Sneaky Dave, Sneaky McDave says, it's almost like he's trying to disrupt things with his comments about falsified documents, something a good counterintelligence agent would do. Oh, look, we've been inside a spacecraft, but also all those documents Grush saw, some of them are fake. He's done nothing other than muddy the waters. If he's so anti-disclosure, then stop trying to sell books on the subjects. Um, So yeah, I think people were were pretty frustrated, to be honest, Dan. yeah, a lot of very similar opinion on that, just as I'm as I'm flying through it. Well, a, a, a little bit of transparency that would go a long way, right? You know, to say that there are forged documents is one thing. To say, hey, this specific document might not be what Grush said it was, that's only one little part of what Grush did. He didn't, you know, his case isn't built on one document or one person. It's built on interviews over four years, 40 people, lots of documents. There may well be some things in there that, you know, we're not fully on the up and up. 
Um, we've already seen it happen with the, the kind of Mussolini stuff. You know, there's some documents there that are pushed by some known hoaxes. Um, so maybe that's what he's talking about. Yeah. So yeah, really interesting one. I recommend people do go and check that one out. I do enjoy watching Weaponized. Um, it's it's one of the few podcasts that I try and catch as much of as I can along we need to know um, on the subject. So yeah, good stuff. And very much one, folks, like I say, if you can, go and watch the YouTube. Um, plenty of clips of it online, but I think it's always fair to go to the original source because those guys put the effort in to make it, whether you like it or not. Um go and give them the credit for it at least and share your opinion, which they're always happy with. Dan, final thing I want to ask you though, have you seen much on the um, Brazil stuff, which is still ongoing? I saw there was a post from Roni Vernet about an interview, yeah. right? I saw you replied to him, you retweeted it, but go, go ahead. Yeah, so he tweeted, um, it was about 12 hours ago, um, he just obtained audio from a community teacher who witnessed strange invisible like beings that entered his house and his father's house last week near the uh, Tabatinga in Amazonas state. It's an epicenter of the current wave of cases in Brazil. And while there, there's some audio from it um, saying they ran after a being two or three times, couldn't shoot him too fast, there's still a lot of this stuff persisting. There still seems to be something's going on out there. I don't have any more to say on that, Dan, other than it's it's interesting. Um, Ronnie Vernet, I recommend if you follow at Ronnie, it's R-O-N-Y, and then Vernet, V-E-R-N-E-T. Um, Ronnie's a journalist based out in Brazil. I've had him on the podcast before, and it's it's one he's keeping on top of. There's a lot of stuff happened. There's interactive maps of where things have happened. Um, it's a strange one because I've seen a few folks saying, well, just get out there and research it and investigate it. I was like, well, I can't just hop on a plane to Brazil for a start. <laughs> I don't think many of us can, but you've got someone out there doing the work. Um, but also I seen when he asked for some support and funding for it, people criticized that, but then other folks were like, get on with it and do the work. It's like, well, he is out there doing it. So at least follow him and have a look at it, ask some questions and maybe that'll help out. I, I don't know what is or isn't going on out there, Dan. Are local communities in Brazil being attacked or pestered by some kind of non-human intelligence? Is it something else? I don't know. Is it one you're keeping much of an eye on at all? Yeah, I'm, I'm keeping an eye on it as it goes. It's like you say, it's hard to judge, right? We don't have access to these things. We don't have access to the data. We know how myths form around that game of telephone with stories and information. This might be that. It might not be that. The fair thing to do is just let the plate keep spinning as an unknown and keep paying attention. Roni's fairly discerning. So the fact that for me, it, the fact that it's coming from him for me brings some credence to these stories. But I'm really curious what they're seeing. And, you know, I, I would love to pop out there and just hole up in one of those villages and, and see, you know, uh, would, would I get attacked by invisible folk? But uh, yeah, I, I I don't know. And do I really want to put myself in that position as well, right? Absolutely. Well, um, before any invisible folk cut us off again, Dan, for the third time and we both go and do our separate editing, thank you very much for joining me on this recording. Um, thank you, as always. A pleasure. And thanks to everyone who checked out the Monsters in California bonus review that we put on the YouTube and all the audio platforms. That's just for folks who pay. Um, there, it's a kind of full movie review, but also we talk about some of the Easter eggs and spoilers in there as well um, of a movie that got mixed reactions from folks. But there's plenty of Easter eggs in there in conversation that if you're looking to do that, then then crack in. I am also working my way through the Secret Machines book too, Dan, currently on audiobook format still. So um, that can be something we discuss down the line. Yeah, for sure. You know, I, I Elena and I just finished listening to uh, reading together the Secret Machines book too. 
so yeah, I have a bunch of thoughts on it. And I would say go watch Monsters of California, because even if you don't like it as a movie, the fact that it involves ghosts and Bigfoot and UFOs, this phenomenon is all coming together, and it's kind of what Lukaski is talking about and what others are talking about. And there are some real interesting statements in there on human capabilities that Lukaski's comment about full human capabilities may, may be curious about. You know, we know Tom has access. We know that he's spoken about to people about these things and that consciousness plays a big part. So maybe, maybe there's some clues there, some breadcrumbs. Yeah, and it's always nice to support small, independent millionaire filmmakers like Tom DeLong. <laughs> Absolutely. And yeah, just before we go, congratulations to the Blink guys on getting the new album out. I'd recommend just as a little sidebar, Blink did an interview with Zane Lowe where they talk about how Tom left the band and that was to do with the UFO stuff. So there are some little tidbits in there that, you know, if you want a full picture of that time, I'd recommend go go listen to, to that and then listen to the new album. Why not? And pick up one of those Tom is right t-shirts from To The Stars. <laughs> yeah, do it. Yeah. I designed those. Bye, folks. (laughs) That is all for this episode. Thank you very much for tuning in. Don't forget to leave the podcast a review on your chosen platform. Apple and Spotify do make a huge difference to the algorithm. If you're checking the show on YouTube, please don't forget to like and leave a comment on here as well. Any sharing you do is very much appreciated on any social media platform. And finally, you can listen to shows ad-free and sponsor-free in their glorious full versions by subscribing for less than the price of a coffee on Apple, Spotify, just search That UFO Podcast Premium, YouTube, you can sign up and be a member, or you can do that through patreon.com. Thank you very much for listening, folks.